was in college and I asked my guidance counselor for, you know, what should I major in? Because uh, <laughs> I'd like to go into youth work in the youth ministry and there was nothing. You know, wow. I mean, they were, they were dumbfounded. So there was really no uh, career path. And so we tried to create that so that youth ministry becomes somewhat professionalized. Well, welcome to Engaging the Generation. I'm your host, Kevin Harper, along with my co-host, Sarah Greenstreet. You know, those comments you just heard were made by our guest today, Wayne Rice, co-founder of Youth Specialties, an organization he founded decades ago. And now, well, I think we'll let him tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> and it's really a fascinating story. Uh, welcome to Engaging the Generations, where we love having conversations about how to build more intergenerational relationships that really matter. Uh, we're excited to introduce to you our guest today, who has an interesting journey from focusing on generational programming to now trying to build more intergenerational opportunities in the local church and within our families. Yeah, that's right. So let's not waste any time talking with our guest today, Wayne Rice. So it's great joy to have uh, Wayne Rice with us today. Um, it's been my privilege to get to know Wayne over the last, what, eight years or so. Uh, when we met in 2015, um, Wayne has quite an incredible history. And uh, so, Wayne, just share a little bit about your background, who you are, where you came from, and what your journey has been along. Yeah, uh, it was great to to uh, be with you, Kevin. And uh, I, I I got my start in its work. I was, uh, while I was in college, studying to be an architect. God called me in history. I was working with Youth for Christ at the time, and um, later got involved in church youth ministry. And so a friend of mine, Mike Acanelli, and I started an organization ministry to, to help other youth workers in the church and to provide resources for them and training uh, events and so forth to help them do their jobs better. Uh, that organization is called Youth Specialties, and um, there's still a remnant of youth specialties going on, but that was over 50 years ago, back in the late 60s, we put out idea books full of crazy ideas for youth workers to, to attract kids. And and uh, we all... Also... I remember I remember my bookshelves in my office as a starting as a youth pastor full of all of these idea books. Yeah, they were full of games and skits and stunts and crazy things you could do. There were a little bit, you know, because back in those days, uh, Christian, you know, denominational publishing houses would publish the egg and armpit relay. You know, there just was really no place for that kind of nonsense. And so youth specialties... Um, put out all this stuff. And we we uh, also, you know, started the, the National Youth Workers Convention and, and other things to try to elevate youth workers and to uh, give them more of a place. Um, so we started publishing books on youth ministry uh, so that uh, youth ministry could be, uh, and not just game books, but but more of a theology, theology of, of youth ministry so that youth ministry could be studied in schools as an actual discipline and the people could go to school and and, uh, and pursue their calling. When I was in college and I asked my guidance counselor for, you know, what should I major in? Because uh, <laughs> I'd like to go into youth work in the youth ministry and there was nothing. You know, wow. I mean, they were, they were dumbfounded. They couldn't find any, any possible. I ended up being a... a a, uh, um, I did a graphic design because back in those days, youth workers needed to know how to how to make a really good poster, you know. So there was really no uh, no no career path, and so we tried to create that so that youth ministry becomes somewhat 
professionalized, which as I look back now was probably one of the big mistakes that made in youth mm-hmm. ministry was professionalizing youth ministry so much that the uh, the lay people, you know, the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and all the volunteers kind of thought, well, we'll just leave it to the professionals now. And so uh, I became part of the problem, I think, when I look back on it as far as youth specialties goes. But still, you know, God called a lot of people into industry, and, and today there are so many who are specializing in youth work. As for me, uh, I eventually went on to work with parents and uh, now grandparents, and a lot of that came about because of of just learning how important it is that young people not be isolated in youth groups, but that they be surrounded by uh, grown-ups and especially their parents. And then uh, uh, their grandparents would would be right up there at the top, and then other adults in the church, and and so on. But that's a little bit of my background. Um, uh, Kevin, you asked me uh, earlier to mention uh, that I play the banjo. I do. But part of that was youth work, too. You know, when I was back in the 60s, folk music was was really in. <laughs> and uh, the way you attracted kids was you'd put together a folk group. And so um, I went out and got a banjo and learned how to play. And then along the way, got really interested in bluegrass music because to me that was that was folk music in overdrive you know it was just uh, a lot of fun to play and um, so I got into uh, uh, playing music and and uh, my brothers and I put together a band that actually it's called Brush Arbor and we actually got to play the Grand Ole Opry and and uh, tour around with pe- people like Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and wow uh, so, so because of some of the things that you did in that whole area, I, I when I so I was doing music um, as a music pastor in a church for a number of years, and we picked up on this whole brush arbor thing and did, did that whole thing ourselves. So, so what would you say your favorite music is? Well, bluegrass. <laughs> okay. I mean, of course, and and along the way, this uh, the local country music station here in San Diego knew that I was a a bluegrass music nut and um and uh asked me to start doing a radio program which featuring bluegrass music and i've been doing that now for for over 45 years i'm still doing it wow. so i so i stay uh you know i that's been kind of a hobby of mine i've always told people in the ministry that um if you want to keep your sanity find something else that you love you know besides just the ministry stuff that you do and uh and and you know do it with a passion as well as uh whatever god has called you to in ministry and uh you know you'll find in many ways that those things will overlap quite a bit and they do they do really well i wish yeah. i'd known you were doing the that that uh, bluegrass show when I was raising my kids, my youngest daughter, I used to take her every Saturday to cello lessons. And we just we just listened to bluegrass music in the car all the way and you know, just had a ball in there listening to bluegrass. But I didn't know <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there, there are not a lot of cellos in bluegrass. But no, there, there isn't. <laughs> there, there are some. You know, there are actually There's fiddlers. <laughs> yeah, there are some um, like Americana groups that that incorporate the uh, uh, you know like Chris Thiele who's an incredible mandolin player has has worked a lot with Yo Yo Ma who's a cellist and they mm-hmm. do some incredible music so so, so there's our a little music you know little yeah. detour that we can take here yeah, that's right podcasts yeah but anyway uh, I, you know I work with the Legacy Coalition now 
I am the conference director. So over the last uh, five years, I've been programming primarily the the conference. I don't do everything. You know, we have a team that that puts on the conference, but my job is to is to put together all of the speakers and and uh, the content for the yeah for the for the Legacy Grandparenting Summit. So it's uh, um it's become quite a thing now. So you've got what over a hundred satellite churches that are live streaming or simulcasting, I should say, right? Simulcasting <laughs> as well as a number in Canada. That, yeah, so you know that's been the way we've chosen to uh, to grow this thing. Is uh, you know for the first uh, three years, uh, you had to go to wherever the conference was yeah. being held. In which yeah. the first two years in Dallas, and then uh, the third year in California, and the last year we were in Birmingham, and we began simulcasting, and that 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 more than doubled, tripled really our attendance. And this year we're hoping to triple it again, and so. Um, uh with with the simulcast so but it yeah. it's, it's it's fun it's you know i i uh, enjoy that part of it you know over the years i've had a chance to meet a lot of really interesting people yeah. in ministry and i get to invite a lot of my old friends to come and speak at the, uh, <laughs> sarah your your sarah's father is a pastor sarah uh, your father's church is actually one of the simulcast sites mm-hmm. yeah i know they're really excited about it let's jump into what we came to talk about and uh, let's start off with just some some perspectives that you gained when you served as a pastor for generations and in the church in San Diego. Uh, how, how do you think uh, that went? What were some of the objectives that you were trying to achieve and how did that go? Well, you know, I um, uh, was mainly uh, doing a lot of speaking and teaching on uh, the importance of, of the important role that parents play in the lives of 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 teenagers. I was doing a lot what we called understanding your teenagers seminars for parents all over the country. But I was also doing quite a bit of speaking and writing on on the importance of of uh, mentoring, the importance of uh, hooking kids up with older adults who could mentor them in the Christian faith, which of course led me to be to really get interested in the whole concept of intergenerational uh, ministries in the church, where you had multiple generations uh, together, um, learning from each other. And I was starting to do some speaking and writing on that. And uh, one of the churches here in San Diego, uh, College Avenue Baptist, um, approached me about coming and, and consulting with them to see if there was some things they could do at their church to become more intergenerational. I, at the time, was attending a, another church. And um, so I started consulting for them. And after attending a lot of their uh, uh, both children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, their adult ministry classes, their worship services, and just kind of looking at the culture of the church, I, I wrote up really kind of a, a plan for College Avenue on how to become more intergenerational. <laughs> and uh, and there was a lot of, you know, there was, I thought I had a lot of good ideas in that uh, paper that I wrote up for them. So they looked it over and said, uh, okay, can we offer you a job? <laughs> and your job would be to come and implement some of the things that you uh, put in this, this, uh, these recommendations. And so, you know, I, I hadn't really planned on that. I was kind of just more of an independent uh, uh, guy doing a lot of my own thing. And, uh, and I, I, I really felt like God was saying to me, okay, big mouth, you've been talking about this for a long time. 
Um, now let's see if you can actually make it happen in a local church. And so um, I really felt like God was was uh, saying, go do this. And so um, uh talked it over with my wife. And we prayed about it and decided to take this position. And they really didn't have a position that I could fill. So we made one up and that was called pastor to generations. And really just to explain it to everybody, you know, I, I decided my job was to oversee children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, <laughs> you know, just kind of look at the big picture of things and figure out how that we could bring the generations together. Our pastor was already sold on the, the senior pastor. He was already, um, on board with the whole idea of unifying the church. The church had been a very siloed church in the past where there was uh, all the various, there was men's ministry and women's ministry and college ministry and the youth ministry and all these. And, and most of the, and, and then there were like three different worship services, you know, based on uh, uh, age you know, groups. Your, age and so forth. And the church really wanted to unify, or the pastor wanted to unify the church. That was really his goal. He felt that the church was was very dysfunctional because it was so uh, divided up. And um, and it wasn't just age segregation. There was a lot of uh, uh, division just on how things should be done. And so he wanted to bring the church, figure out a way to unify things. And so the intergenerational piece was a was a big part of that. There was also a, a real concern that the youth workers, who were young guys, uh, didn't really know how to um, uh, do family ministry. It was becoming a little bit trendy at the time. This was about 12, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. Uh, Mark DeVries had written a book on family-based youth ministry, and there were some other like the Orange Movement, uh, Reggie Joyner, and some of them were writing about the importance of uh, of youth ministry and and parents, you know, bringing the 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 family more into youth ministry, and and so the church asked me to come and see if I could uh, kind of mentor those the younger youth workers on how to do that and figure out how to make the church more intergenerational. And so, so I jumped in. I was <laughs> enthusiastic, and and uh, we tried to. It the first thing, of course, was I told we, you know, the the church had had a big sanctuary, and I said, you know, you don't, you could just bring everybody, put everybody in the same room, you know, for worship. You know, we this could be the first first uh, first thing you do is is uh, is just unify though the worship service so that the kids are worshiping with their parents and. And with their grandparents, and they're all in the same room. And so it took about a year for us to make that happen. But we started prepping the church for that move because they had gotten really used to having a traditional service for the older people and the cool hip service for the for the younger people. And that our you know there was also a youth a, a service just for the youth groups and so on. And so we wanted to bring them all together and. Uh, and so we were doing a lot of uh, sort of softening the, the soil before we actually pulled the trigger on that. It took about a year, but we did. And um, we brought everybody together. So is there anything you learned from that that you would then do differently if you were starting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, because this was something that uh, that uh, I mean, I think the, the idea of, of, of trying to cast the vision and teach the church and get everybody on the same page um, 
was an important part of it, but there was a lot of pushback. Interesting. The thing that was interesting to me when I went in uh, to do this intergenerational thing and bring the generations together was the pushback did not come from the from the youth. It came from the uh, from the seniors, from the older people. Um, they were pretty upset about it, and uh, they didn't want they didn't want to have to do it. And uh, in fact. When we finally did pull the trigger and um, and bring all the kids and everybody into the main sanctuary for for the worship services, which also meant we were going to change some of the worship style that was going on, um, that they were, you know, it wasn't going to be all pipe organ and, and hymns and everything anymore. Well, we lost a lot of people, you know, a lot of we had a mass exodus from the church, and there was really nothing we could do about it. Um, I mean, we tried our best, and uh, to to help the older generation understand that you know we had our turn, and it's time now to really encourage and bring up the next generation uh, so that they can. This church becomes their church. You know, we've all seen the statistics, which show that. Um, <laughs> Anywhere, some of the numbers show anywhere from half to three quarters of students who come up through our youth ministry programs leave the church after they leave the youth group because they've never been part of the church. They've never felt like the church was was uh, was theirs. It belonged to the older generation. And that was not the case. You know, I, some people ask me, well, what is an intergenerational church? I said, well, you know, if you're over 50, you probably grew up in one. You know, you're, you're, you know, because that's the way the church was. And so when I grew up, you know, I, I wanted to serve the church because I, I loved the church. I had been part of the church the whole time I was growing up. We didn't have a youth growing up. You know, the youth group was run by our parents, volunteers, some of the little old ladies church. You know, I mean, my, I still got a picture on my office wall of, of Laura Boffman, you know, who was our junior high teacher when I was growing up. And, and uh, she was amazing. And she never read a book on you. She never, she, she just loved us kids. And, um, and all I'm saying is, is, you know, when I was growing up, um, I was part of an intergenerational church. I'm not just try, being nostalgic and trying to turn the clock back because our whole world has become very age segregated, as you know. In fact, I mean, if you go back in those days, music, everybody listened to the same music. You know, I mean, the top, you know, the top 20 was the top 20, no matter how old you were. Well, until Elvis came around and people <laughs> yeah. had nothing to do with that. <laughs> and then things started to change, you know, in the 60s and the 70s. Pretty soon, you know, old people didn't listen to young music and so on. So, I mean, this has happened throughout society, not just in the church, but as the world has become more age segregated, so has the church. And yet, um, I've always believed that the church should be the one place in the world where where um, the generations can be together. And uh, uh, because we have a common faith, and uh, we don't need to be a segregated by age. And we need each other. You know, young people need the older people around them. Otherwise, how are they going to learn? But also the older people need the young around them, too, to give them hope. Yeah. Wayne, do you think, do you know what reason there might be that more churches haven't seen the need for this intergenerational kind of ministry? Well, sure. I, you know, I think... Uh, uh, a lot, a large part of it is is along about 
the same time, and I'm talking about the 60s and 70s and so on, there was a real trend in the church, you know, for the, we used to call it the church growth movement. You know, I think it kind of got started with Donald McGavran and the Winarn, yeah, you know, Fuller Seminary and some of the, uh, where, where there was just a whole, uh, uh, emphasis on homogeneous groups. You know, if you want to reach, if you want to grow, if you want to get large, if you want to get big, then you're going to need to target certain parts of the population. And so it kind of gave birth to, to, uh, and I'm not putting down churches like Willow Creek, but it became, you know, where churches were targeting specific demographic groups, what they called at the time homogeneous groups. And age is certainly one of those categories or, or groupings that we look at. So, you know, if you want to grow, it's just like a radio station. If you want to get more listeners, you target a specific group. If you play a little bit of everything, classical, the country, the rock, and then nobody listens to it, you mm-hmm. know, you know, but, and so this, this, kind of strategic thinking about it's it's about marketing you know if you want to grow then you need to target specific groups and what that's done is it's divided up the church by um, age and size we have we have churches here in san diego that you know where the churches do target specific age groups um um you know some are really i mean if you go you feel like you go into a rock concert right and there are others that if you you go to them, it feels like you just walked into a time machine. You know, yeah. it's, ni- it's 1955 <laughs> all over again. Yeah, that's for sure. No, but with, with this whole cultural mindset, Wayne, that exists yeah. for targeting or marketing towards specific groupings of people. Yeah. And with that question, we will continue the conversation with Wayne Rice next time on Engaging the Generations. It's so interesting to hear Wayne talk about the age segregation that's been happening, not mm. only in our churches, but in our culture. Yeah. Uh, this is really an area that I believe the church should stand apart and be an example for our culture. So I'm really excited to hear what Wayne has to say about yeah, that. Yeah, me too, because I really agree with you, Sarah. I, that really is a, a, a place that we just don't have a whole lot of dialogue going on right now. And mm. I hope this will help us have more of that. Yeah. And I hope you will join us for the next part of our conversation with Wayne Rice. We'd also love to hear your comments and feedback on this topic, and you can do that by reaching out to us at podcast at elderquestmenmin.com. Until next time, I'm Kevin Harper. And I'm Sarah Greenstreet, inviting you to join us for part two with Wayne Rice as we discuss ways to intentionally and faithfully commend the mighty works of God and His truth to another generation. God God bless. bless.